as in like Quaker Oats, or like is that a fundamental part of their religion? Hey, and welcome to the Meet Your Heroes podcast. Uh, my name's Elliot. And I'm Audrey. And this is the podcast where we ignore the conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes and get to know who your heroes really were. Messy, complicated people, just like all of us. As messy as us? The days before Twitter, we don't actually know how messy they were. Yes, this is pre-Real Housewives of Atlanta messy. Right, the The bar has changed. Speaking of Real Housewives of Atlanta... Mm, are we? <laughs> <laughs> how have you passed the time in this never-ending hellscape of sameness? How am I entertaining myself? What am I watching or listening or reading? Yeah, I guess television shows, but also mm-hmm. movies. Have you written any screenplays? Have you adapted any novellas for performing arts? No, no? I've done none of that. <laughs> No, I have been listening to the Glennon Doyle book on tape. Um, It's called Untamed, and it's a pretty heavy book, so I can only listen like a chapter at a time, Mm. and there's like 4,000 chapters apparently because (laughs) it's taking forever. Um, And then, you know, we've watched some shows. Yeah. What have been the good ones recently? Killing Eve. Oh, yeah. Yikes. That one's hard for me. I like it. I like it, but no spoilers. It's rough. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what else is really rough? Afterlife. Oh, yeah, the Ricky Gervais show. Mm-hmm. And rough in all the like best ways, right? It's like, yes. I really liked that. It's dark. It's hysterical. Yes. And it's very moving. It's like not really what you expect from Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Second season, much sadder and less funny than the first. That's true, but still very worth watching. Still very funny. Yeah. What about you? How are you passing the days? Oh, you know. I do know. I live with you. We have not <laughs> left. I know intimately how you spend every minute of the day. Yeah, just uh, sitting and digging on my phone here and there. Yep. Just... Small screen, medium screen, then the big screen, back to the small screen. Yeah. Tired of big screen. Ready for small screen time. Oh, got two two and one happening. Actually, little words with friends while we're watching Killing Eve. <laughs> yes, yes. It's terrible. Yeah. Well, hopefully some folks are listening to this podcast as oh. a way to pass their time. Yes. Oh, Speaking of what? this podcast. No, okay. Yeah, there's some good podcasts too. Mm-hmm. Thousandth episode of Planet Money. The thousandth? One thousandth episode of Planet Money. Isn't there like one every day of the week though? No, no, not this one. Oh, okay. It was good. Mm. Well. Radio Lab's been just taking names as always. All right. Well, here we are with episode 21. So maybe someday we'll be <laughs> We're getting on par. There. We're getting yeah. there. <laughs> A thousand weeks. So who's our hero this week? Ah, another big one. So this person, I mean, obviously our followers already know because they've clicked on playing this episode. So they know who it is. Oh, yeah. But um, this hero has been a request by a number of followers since the beginning. We put out calls like, who should we do? Who should we feature? This hero comes up time and time again. Susan B. Anthony. Susan B. Anthony, the mother of the suffrage movement. One of the mothers. One of the mothers. Yes. Yes. So 
a little background. Uh, well, actually, how much do you know about Susan B. Anthony? Uh, I know that she was a suffragette. Mm-hmm. I, for all of our uh, listeners who didn't finish middle school history, uh, a suffragette is <laughs> a woman who was campaigning for the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of it. We're going to fill out Susan B. Anthony's legacy. But yes, primarily known uh, for her role in the women's suffrage movement. Sure. All right. Born February 15th, 1820. So you know what that means. Audrey's Astrology Hour. Slash 90 seconds. Uh, All right. So (laughs) people born on February 15th, Aquarius. Okay. According to the internets. This person is full of vitality, adventure, and fun. They like to walk on the wild side of life and have great enthusiasm and ingenuity, especially when it comes to exploring novel things. Folks born on February 15th, uh, when they're faced with a challenge, they often find it impossible to sit on the sidelines. So they have to jump in and offer a solution, but it has to be their solution. So they're charming, energetic, uh, they have the ability to master skills quickly, and um, they live life in the fast lane with no intention of slowing or calming down. They are a powerful force to be reckoned with, and that can also mean that sometimes it's hard for them to know when to stop. Great. Well, uh, this research has been brought to you by, what? what's the website here? Oh, this one is astrologyk.com. The, the scientist said astrologyk.com. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so born in February in Massachusetts. She was born Susan, Susan Anthony. Oh, hey, one of the first people in a while that has not changed their name. Oh, well, she didn't actually have a middle name. The B, it's just B, it doesn't stand for anything, (laughs) was added, quote, in response to a great craze for middle initials (laughs) in, like, mid-1800s. I mean, I do, it's funny, I do think of, like, uh, if you're a colonel... Of this time, I'd think, you know, William J. T-Bone or whatever. But I never... Oh, yeah, the, the great <laughs> Sir Captain T-Bone. <laughs> oh, uh, I did not think that people went to the lengths to just put a letter in. Oh, yes. She and her sisters all did it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so her family, speaking of sisters, her family was very big into social reform. So... Um, she had two older brothers, Daniel and Merritt, who both actually moved to Kansas Ayo, to fight alongside uh, John Brown in Bleeding Kansas. For, for potentially any listeners who don't know the story of John Brown, mm-hmm. uh, could you just, I, I mean, obviously, I know the story. Oh, but do could you? you just, <laughs> could you just fill in the, the broad strokes and some of the details so that everybody's on the same page here, sure. just in general, for the listeners? Absolutely. So John Brown was a leading abolitionist from Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, You might know Lawrence, Kansas from Home of the Jayhawks, in case any of our listeners know of the Jayhawks. Um, And he, you know, led the fight. So Kansas was a free state. Across the border in Missouri, it was not. Um, He was really set on arming freed slaves or formerly enslaved people to fight in the Civil War and abolish slavery. Wow. He was eventually um, captured. And when that happened, actually, this was a few years later, uh, Susan and her sister held vigil 
while he was being executed. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, so her family, her brother showed up to Kansas just to fight with this guy. They did. And her brother, Daniel, actually eventually became the mayor of Leavenworth. So if you know anything about Leavenworth, it's Fort Leavenworth, which was established during the Civil War as well. Um, it's a big military base okay. in Kansas. So, so clearly all abolitionists, the family is fighting for social reforms mm-hmm. like yep. early on and consistently. And this connection to abolitionism is an important part of her history and will be a complicating factor in some of her strategies and tactics later as a leader of the women's rights movement. So it gets a little messy, but it is an important part. Her family was social reform minded. Uh, Her dad was actually kind of like radical for the time. He was kicked out of the Quaker church for um, marrying a woman who is not Quaker and also allowing dance lessons to take place in his home. Oh, big no-no for the Quakers there. <laughs> big no-no. That's a, that's a rebel. Mm-hmm. I can see it. It runs in the family. It does, yeah. The dance lessons, that'll do it. Uh, she had a fairly traditional childhood and high school experience. She did eventually go to Quaker boarding school, so I don't they, know. Wait, they they just overlooked the history fa- family history of dancing? I guess, yeah. <gasps> I, Times are changing. She actually even taught at one haunted a Quaker school. Yeah, she really didn't want to. The Quakers are the Oats people, right? As in, like, Quaker Oats? Or, like, is that a fundamental part of their religion? Both? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yes, but I, I don't know why it's called Quaker Oats, apart from making the assumption that, you know, Quakerism generally was around, like, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, the early colonies, and I would imagine that they There's, like, a Quaker oats. on the box, right? Yes. Okay. Indeed. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, not, they're not the Captain furniture T-Bone, people. T-Bone, in fact. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> J. T-Bone, thank you. Mm-hmm. William J. T-Bone. Yeah, Sir Captain William J. <laughs> T-Bone, the Quaker. <laughs> the Quakers are not the furniture people, though, right? Shakers. Right? Those are both... That's a thing too. Yeah, shakers. They're the shakers ones who do the clearly, weird dance. Yeah, they're the dancing <laughs> ones. Yes, I was gonna say. They mix it up. Um, yeah, I actually think that's Quaker... that's the better rivalry: the the Quakers <laughs> versus the Shakers and their dancing ways. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, Quaker might be furniture. That sounds right. Pennsylvania. I think Shakers furniture. That sounds right too. Yo, dude. Everybody I'm got some furniture. I'm not the one. <laughs> I'm okay. not the one. Um. Anyway, so she did eventually teach at a Quaker school, and that is where the earliest seeds of, like, women's women's rights were planted because she was real bummed out about the fact that the men made more money than her, despite them all having the same job. Well, yeah, back in the day. Right. I'm so glad that's over. I know. I'm so glad. Uh, Eventually, the school closed. Don't know why. Didn't look into it. But she returned home to take over her father's farm so he could work on his, like, insurance business. I don't know. They were just what? like, hey, Susan. Run the farm. Run the farm. Uh, this is, And so she did that till her late 20s. And at the same time, she was getting involved in this, like, fight for women's equal pay and started to, like, build a name for herself as a reformer and activist. She's, she's activisting, act- activizing. Mm-hmm. She's doing activism from the farm. I mean, not not like from the farm. Okay, yeah. But like while running a farm. <laughs> not telecommuting, <laughs> I guess. Yes. Yeah. Um, and eventually, by like her early 30s, she's she's working as an activist full time. Okay. Just living off of speaker's fees and um, 
she's like very good at fundraising. She's very charismatic. Uh, people really liked that she didn't take a lot of money for her work mm -hmm. and she didn't keep any extra money. Like anything she had, she put back into the cause. So she was able to like build allies and and make a name for herself pretty pretty rapidly. In her early 30s, uh, 1851 to be precise, so when she's 31, something really pivotal to her future happens. She is introduced to Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Have you heard that name before? No. Okay, so she is the OG women's rights uh, leader. She oh. founded and organized the original Seneca Falls Convention, which was the first ever women's rights convention. She is the first person to introduce a resolution at this convention to garner support and organize around uh, women's suffrage. Okay, wait, so they were meeting before and they weren't actually explicitly about women's suffrage yet. Right. That's like a, that comes down the line. Yes. Let me talk a little bit about what their earliest work was now. Um, so we think of them for suffrage, but that actually didn't come until a few years into their work and their friendship and the organizing they were doing. So they were organizing around equal pay. They were organizing uh, primarily around women's rights in a marriage. So mm. if a woman gets married, when a woman got married back then, all of her personal property and basically like legal rights were essentially her husband's. And they were fighting against that. They wanted women to have the opportunity to marry if they wanted, but also be able to like sign a bank form or yeah. have joint custody of their children should their abusive alcoholic husband leave them and take the kids. You know, basic things like that. So they became close friends. They were co-workers. They formed a really strong relationship. At some point, Elizabeth Cady Stanton's family moves to New York or from Seneca Falls to New York City. And they're so close, in fact, that they, despite having seven children and a married couple, they set aside a room in their home for Susan to live. Oh, wow. Um, it gets a, a little suspicious here where... <laughs> One of Stanton's biographers estimated that over her lifetime, Stanton spent more time with Susan than with any other adult, including her husband. Okay, okay. So it makes me think of those like historians who are like, oh, these two women living mm -hmm. together, they must have just been best friends. Yeah. I also don't want to make assumptions because Katie or Katie Stanton, Elizabeth Katie Stanton was married early in her life, Susan had quarters was in relationships but eventually was like i never want to get married i ne like work is my life for all we know married it was just to the game married to the game totally above board but they were super super close right they had complementary skills anthony was able to organize and speak and stanton was a prolific writer stanton had seven kids and so anthony susan b anthony would just like babysit so elizabeth could write um so it really helped that she lived in the home with them yeah pretty good gig one of elizabeth's biographers said that quote stanton provided the ideas rhetoric and strategy anthony delivered the speeches circulated petitions and rented the halls anthony prodded and stanton produced uh, stanton's husband said Quote, Susan stirred the puddings, Elizabeth stirred up Susan, and Susan stirs up the world. Okay, so that didn't make the case for them being just friends any better, honestly. <laughs> it's, not, 
It doesn't. I really feel like the phrase stirring the puddings <laughs> is maybe where things get a little bit. Takes a turn. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Um, and then Stanton herself said, I forged the thunderbolts and she fired them. So, mm. A lot of metaphors there. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of very non-suggestive metaphors. So like I said, throughout the 50s, they were involved in a lot of activism. 1850s. 1850s, yes. Um, A lot of it actually was complementary to the temperance movement. Do you know anything about the temperance movement? Oh, yes. Uh, the Akin to the teetotalers mm-hmm. of the later prohibition, the people yes. who were trying to ban drinking. Yes. So these nerds were like (laughs) hey (laughs) actually they did it because a lot of women were in like drunk abusive relationships and they couldn't leave because they had no legal recourse for doing so and so they were able to sort of like hinge a lot of their activism and mobilization around like hey we want to make this a more equitable arrangement make it safer for women in abusive alcoholic relationships yes although although taking the angle like if the problem is women in abusive relationships with alcoholics banning the alcohol versus giving the women the ability to leave like a little bit of a failure of the imagination there yo dude i'm telling you what and they also then were like focused on equal pay that got nowhere uh glad we solved it though yep and then we get to the 1860s we all know what happened in the 1860s Apollo 11. That's the one. The Civil War. There we go. In the 1860s, the early 1860s, a lot of Anthony's action was focused on uh, anti-slavery work. So this demand to end slavery. Her, like I said, her brother, sister, father, they were all well-known abolitionists. And Anthony, at this point, having been a reformer and activist for well over a decade was one of the most influential thought leaders like political influencers of the time and formed a really close relationship with frederick Douglass. Uh, together they were part of the founding group of an organization called the american equal rights association they worked closely for a few years but then things get muddy her early anti-slavery work did not translate over time into any sort of activism for people who were formerly enslaved. She was a big proponent of getting rid of the bad, but did not put any effort into creating a more equitable world. In fact, she did just the opposite. Wait, just the opposite? Mm Mm-hmm. Even though her time was brief at the AERA, the The association eventually dissolved after a few years anyway. There were, from the beginning, tensions in the group about what the goals for this coalition would be. Have you ever been part of a coalition? I don't know if I've been part of a coalition. I could not more strongly recommend against it. It's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a number of coalitions. And the hardest part is agreeing on a goal. Right. Because a coalition assumes that you have a set of diverse stakeholders who are coming together. They want basically the same thing, but they all have different ideas about how to get there. That's best case scenario. This case scenario was that they couldn't even agree on a goal. What they settled on winning voting rights for 
both women and African Americans, but fairly explicitly, yeah, not black women. Wait, they they picked women and black men mm-hmm. as the goal. Yes. What? So they landed there because at the same time that they were forming this association, the 15th Amendment had been introduced. Uh. Right? And that would give black men the right to vote. Obviously, Frederick Douglass was in support of this amendment and thought it would be possible to have it pass and also then continue fighting for women's suffrage. Anthony and Stanton said they did not believe that would be possible. They thought the very best course for America would be to give white women voting rights and then give voting rights to black men and eventually black women. Wait. Oh. Even though the 15th Amendment had already been proposed. Yes. They mobilized against it. Against? Campaigned against it. At one point, Elizabeth Stanton, with the support of Susan B. Anthony, gave a speech about this issue in which she used horrifically racist language to argue that, quote, educated white women deserved voting rights before black men. She said, quote, Think of Patrick and Sambo and Hans and Young Tongue, who do not know the difference between a monarchy and a republic, who cannot read the Declaration of Independence or Webster's spelling book, making laws for Susan B. Anthony. This amendment creates an antagonism everywhere between the educated, refined women and the lower orders of men, especially oh. in the South. Yikes. They're not even just like, they're, they're like saying it out loud. Yeah, 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 yeah. They end up creating this major, uh, like, fraction in the women's rights movement where half or, I don't know, let's, I don't know if it's divided <laughs> equally half and half, but the two, the two groups are people who support the 15th Amendment, campaigning to get it passed, and Susan B. Anthony and her bullshit. Yeah. This is particularly painful for Frederick Douglass, who was a day one for women's rights. Yeah. Right? He continued to be a women's rights activist until his death. He did not waver in his, like, commitment to moral compass. Uh, yeah, inclusion <laughs> yes. of pe- all people. Uh, Anthony, however, straight up explicitly abandoned her partnership and at some point asked him to stop appearing at speaking engagements with white women because it was inappropriate. What? It, man, this this just feels like we have we have been introduced to the... Genesis of this long history of white feminism in America. Oh, does it feel like that? Oh, it's exactly what this is. It's not. This is yes, like explicitly, like explicitly. Yes, welcome to the source. And so she did not want Frederick Douglass interacting with white women because it was inappropriate. She didn't find it inappropriate, however, to relentlessly court and recruit explicitly racist women to join the suffrage movement, especially in the South. She would go on speaking tours where she argued that if white women could vote, they could drown out the black male vote. Well, and actually, we have some numbers in on that. And (laughs) yeah, it turns out if you look at the breakdowns from our most recent election. She got that 53 percent. Yeah. Yes. In 1873, just a few years after the 15th Amendment has been passed, they're still, like, railing against it. They think this is the downfall of the feminist movement. 
Anthony said, an oligarchy of wealth where the rich govern the poor, an oligarchy of learning where the educated govern the ignorant, or even an oligarchy of race where the Saxons rule the African might be endured. But surely this oligarchy of sex, which makes the men of every household sovereigns, masters, the women subjects, slaves, carrying dissension, rebellion into every home of the nation, cannot be endured. Man, the, the biggest bullshit of this is that she's like, can you imagine if we had one group of people that made the other group of people slaves? Yes. She's like co-opting <laughs> the, the language of abolitionism to be like, oh, um, hey, white women educated white women we think we're like way better than all of these other people they couldn't see the 15th amendment as progress no that's the crazy part to me there's no sense of like solidarity there's no sense of like you know there's no intersectionality none zero yes that's really peak shittiness but over the next few years or decades she continues campaigning for women's rights she engages in a number of like fairly radical legal maneuvers the most famous was purposefully getting arrested while voting like organizing women to go cast a ballot anyway being told no and doing it despite that she in the early 1880s at this point she's in her 60s stanton's a bit older she and elizabeth write a six volume 5700 page series called the history of women's suffrage which it's essentially a history of white feminism yes at the time at this time, there's Stanton and Anthony are still spending literally every day, all day together. But they had started to grow apart ideologically. Stanton got more liberal and actually even wrote a book called The Women's Bible, which attacked the use of the Bible to relegate women to an inferior status. Sounds like some dope shit to read, but yeah. it still doesn't excuse what Anytime she... anybody's like, you know what I feel like I'm going to do? Rewrite the Bible. <laughs> well, I mean, she had the audacity to do a lot. Um, and while that was happening, Susan was forming really strong alliances with some of the most conservative groups in America, specifically the Women's Christian Temperance Union, which was mm. the largest women's organization in the country. Uh, they actually condemned Stanton's book and like <laughs> disallowed uh, Susan to go on like a speaking tour introducing it. It's, uh, it's messy. Uh, <laughs> but... Stanton died a few years before her. She worked essentially up until her death, but died without ever seeing women's suffrage at the national level. Yeah. How much later was it? Um, it wasn't until 1920 that the 19th Amendment is passed. So she dies in 1906. You know, her legacy is well known, and she is certainly rightfully celebrated for a lot of the progress she helped make, especially in terms of like equal rights for women in professional settings, her advocacy against the subjugation of women in marriage and the like the hard fought advances to get women into higher education. When her advocacy started, zero women were basically in college. By yeah, the time she crazy. died, there were like 30,000 wow. women in college, which is pretty legit. That doesn't cancel out this legacy of racism. Yeah. Explicit and and not even like at a time when progressives were already in the in the midst of making major strides, still mm -hmm. somehow, not just clinging to, but like reinforcing and actively fighting for a really racist view of how yeah women's activism should go. Absolutely, yes. Um, they were like leveraging that racism to influence 
people for their cause. And so, to speaking of her legacy, sort of in conclusion, Lisa Tetrault is a historian who has specialized in the history of uh, women's suffrage. And she notes that uh, the legacy of Susan B. Anthony endures in feminism and the women's rights movement today. Uh, it goes back to, you know, the 1920s when black women in the South and many uh, Latina women were still barred from voting because of voting restrictions, racist voting restrictions. Uh, they try, And those groups tried to reach out to the main suffrage organizations. And basically, they were like, help us. We still can't vote. And those organizations essentially said, that's a race question. It doesn't concern us. That's shocking. Yeah. So there you go. Like, yeah, just a fundamental view that if you're a woman and you're not white, we white feminists who are fighting for rights for women are going to explicitly say, we are not here for you. Yes, explicitly. The The thing about Susan B. Anthony's legacy that I, I just really want to emphasize here is that this was not... This wasn't subliminal. It wasn't like uh, coincidental. They were straight up like white women are superior to people of color, to men of color. And we're not even going to think about the rights of black women. Right. Because at the same time that they're working, like Sojourner Truth is an advocate. There, there are like black women who have a platform, have a voice that they were then fighting against. Yeah. To reinforce the hierarchy with whiteness at the top. So, I don't know. It's complicated. Like we talked about last week. It's hard to want to shit all over a women's rights activist. <laughs> but we can't, we can't like whitewash this history and then claim it as fact. Yeah, especially not when there is... To this day, right, this incredible amount of progress that has been made, uh, especially for a lot of white professional women mm -hmm. on the backs and the labor of non-white women yes. to, like, make it possible. Yes. And we still see, to this day, voter disenfranchisement for people of color. And it disproportionately affects black and brown women who are additionally burdened by all of the like intersection of being a woman and a person of color. So, yeah, they did not set the stage for equality. They set the stage to get white women ahead. And it's worked. What they wanted has worked. It's just really fucking shitty. Anyway, so now my hero. Yeah, I think there's probably better heroes out there. Folks can find us online, meetyourheroespodcast.com. Or socials. All the socials, at your heroes pod. They can rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thanks That's for the, the big reviews. Four. Saw some nice reviews. Yeah, we've gotten some really nice reviews. Um, really appreciate all the comments folks are leaving on social media. Definitely, definitely that boost of dopamine I need these days. See that like? <laughs> ping goes smash off smash that like button mm -hmm. chasing those likes okay till next time till next time don't be a hero
never be a hero. Talk to you later. Bye.